Thank you. Oh, look, Wendy didn't fulfil her quota. That's very bad. Somebody once wrote, I'm soft sift in an hourglass, did they not? Anyone know who wrote soft sift? Never mind, doesn't matter. Um, one of my favourite lines in poems. Um, I'll tell you where we'll start. Um, questions. If there's ever been any question that you've ever wanted to ask, or indeed one that's just suddenly cropped up at this very moment, uh, anything at all, um, why is the sky blue, um, I don't know, do you still love me, um, anything at all, uh, turn to the person next to you and share the question with them. Don't try to answer the question, just share the questions. There you go, have a, have a question time. Could be any question at all, any question at all. Any order of question. It's not a test. It's just, you're just sharing questions. That was quick. Some of you gave up on that quite quickly. Go on, you've got room to spread. Just have another question. Go on. I'm not choosy. Some of you looking at me like I would know your question. The whole point is I don't know your question. Share a question. Have a nice time. Ignore Simon Singh. Okay, I guess some of you did that, I hope so. Some of you didn't look like you wanted to do that, like that might hurt. Um, okay, now share with the person next to you, uh, have a little discussion how you might go about finding the answer to that question. Don't try to answer it. What methods would you use to answer that question? And be as creative as you like. There may be many ways of... There may be many ways. In fact, if you think of different ways, you may get different answers to the same question. Okay, let's, um, can we have a bit more house lights up, folks? Just a little bit more house lights so I can see you, see you. Oh, that's lovely. Very good. Is anyone like to, let's, let's do some of the questions things first. Let's, let's just hear some of the questions. Anyone like to share a question they heard or a question they wanted an answer to? We're not going to try and answer them. Yes. Good, interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well... We'll see whether we can find an answer to that in a minute. At least your curiosity's been aroused anyway. Yeah. Okay, anybody else? Yes. Yes. What colour were dinosaurs? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ebola. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simon's just sorting that, yeah, okay. Anybody else up above? Yes. Yes, yes. Do we have past lives? Do we have past lives? Yeah. 
Yes. What, sorry? Why can't I be the education secretary? Right, lovely. So, okay, so there's a set of questions, and then some of you sat and tried to come up with answers. The question, to just that question there, why aren't I speaking, that's because I wanted you to write the book. And that's what you just did, because that is, in actual fact, what this book is all about. Oh, it's not there. Anyway, that's just my name. So, anyway, the book, Good Ideas, uh, that is basically what it's about. It's about what questions have we got, how can we encourage children to ask questions, and might it be that if we sit with children and think about how we can answer questions, will that encourage them to ask more questions? Why are questions important? Well, I have a think theory that maybe what goes on in schools doesn't necessarily encourage learning, which sounds a little bit like a contradiction, because in some senses that's what schools are supposed to be. But my experience of schools has been, uh, when, I, when I look at schools, is that quite a lot of what goes on in schools seems to discourage learning. So I think, well, maybe this space that occurs outside of schools, we can do that and we can encourage it. And this makes me think back to my parents. What did my parents do about learning and my parents were both teachers and I remember once coming home from school and this perhaps ties a little bit with the question about if the stars and the nebulae and God bit. I came back from school and uh, I'd heard in school um, that Jesus said that we have to be meek. So I came home and said to my um, Jewish atheist communist parents, <laughs> I said, today I learnt in school that we have to be meek and my dad said, what? Meek? No, no, you have to be bold. Well, I was about four at the time, and I didn't know the meaning of either of those words. But anyway, and I remember reminding my dad of the fact that he, that he had said this to me. I was saying this to him, I don't know, about 20 years later. And uh, he, he thought that was very funny that he had said that to me. Um, and then I said, so, okay, well, you know, what, what would you say now? And he said, be curious. And I said, well, well, what do you mean, be curious? He said, you've got to go on asking questions. Whatever happens, he says, you go ask questions. And you must, must ask questions because you've got to remember that they're always trying to hoodwink you. Who are? Everybody. <laughs> and so I said, right, okay, so be, be curious. He said, yeah, in America they call it crap, crap detecting. So you've got to be a crap detector in life. That's, what, that's, that's your job. So I thought, oh, well, I like that. I like that. And have you got any other advice? No, no, I haven't. No, that was the end of that one. And then I thought, as I sat down to write this book, was there something else? Was there? Because I had a feeling that, that they did show me or tell me something else. And I thought and I thought and I thought, well, what was it? And somehow or other, my parents, both of them were able to show me or tell me or somehow or other that I was entitled. Not in any kind of arrogant way, but that anything out there we are entitled to go in there and find out about it. So nothing is too posh or too unposh. Nothing is too highbrow, middlebrow, lowbrow, if those, such a thing should possibly exist, that we are entitled to go there. And so somehow or other, my parents passed this on to me. And one of the saddest things I find when I sit and talk to children or if I watch them is if I see them sort of bring down the blinkers and think either, oh, I can't go there, or I shouldn't go there, or it's too hard or too posh or whatever it is, or the other way around, that, that they feel snobbish and think that they shouldn't. And I, in fact, I had a funny thing happen to me this week. I was doing a video conference with some teenagers, and I was talking about poems, and they were asking me questions, and I could see there was a boy at the back who was taking the piss out of me, you see, and everything I said, he kind of 
he kind of imitated. So kind of when I waved my hand, he kind of waved his hand. And he was getting quite a good little audience for it while it was going on. So, of course, the teacher chucked him out. And, um, and I thought, well, what a shame, really, because obviously this was a lively chap, a bit like the way I was. Um, but one part of me thought, well, it's a shame in one sense because he was actually blocking himself off from what I was saying, but at the same time, not sad because he was actually quite enjoying doing these movements. And then I thought, what a shame that he got thrown out for it because perhaps, I don't know, I was getting to get him to stand up, but I was like speaking to a television, so it was quite difficult. But anyway, so this entitlement thing, I think, is like, it's like right there. It's, it's so, so important that if somehow we can pass on these two ideas about be curious and be entitled. But at the same time, that's not quite enough for me. So I have some other code words, if you like, or almost like a commandments for me, that as I go about, I think that if we have these words in our mind, these are the things that can help us. So my words are, if you like, they're investigation, interpretation, invention, and cooperation. These four words, sadly, they don't seem to appear as, as kind of priorities within education. So let me just give you an example, interpretation. So those of you, if any of you here are teachers, you'll know that at primary level, um, in, at the end of year six, you have a lovely, delightful exam or a test called the SAT. Um, and in SATs, there's a little guide. You may, you may not know this if you're just parents, but there's a secret little guide that only teachers see that the thing they're testing for is, is uh, several things, but the two most important things they're testing for, one's called retrieval, and the other one is called inference. Okay, if, if I can illustrate, so, you know, a question might be, or in fact, a lot of time is spent doing this sort of thing, um, you say, Billy has a blue hat, what color was his hat? No, oh, okay, it was a bit quick, that was. Okay, Billy has a blue hat, what color was his hat? You're supposed to write blue and then you get one mark for that, and that's called retrieval, and a lot of education thinks this is incredibly important, that you spend an enormous amount of time doing this. I spent, I don't know, years and years doing this. One of the things I don't remember that I remember that I don't remember um, was the order of the towns and cities along the river Rhine, yes, just managed to remember that bit, the River Rhine between Rotterdam and Basel. And even as I say that, I remember that I've said it the wrong way round because Basel comes, no, never mind, all right. Anyway, you know the idea. Okay, so uh, we've done Billy has, a blue, Billy has a blue hat, what color was his hat? Blue, you get one mark for that. Now the next one is a little bit trickier. It was raining, why was Billy wearing his hat? Yes? This is inference, so you then write, because it was raining. Are you still with me? Okay. This is SATs, okay? You get two marks for that. Now, a lot more of education is also involved in that. You tell somebody there's one thing, then there's another thing that happened after it that is supposedly cause and effect, if you believe in cause and effect. I don't, but anyway, never mind. Okay, so then we have cause and effect, and then you get two marks for that. And this is rated. This is thought by education to be massively important. Now, there's one little chap in the class who's written, remember the, remember the, the prose piece that you got, I won't dignify it with the name story, but anyway, Billy has a blue hat, it was raining, why was he wearing the hat? One chap in the class has written, because he supports Chelsea. <laughs> no to applaud that boy, he is wrong, and he gets no marks. I'm afraid not, because he was 
interpreting. He did that very, very dangerous and wrong thing. What he did was bring in his life experience. Okay, so he was acting outside of the frame of that thing that I did dignify with the word story, that perhaps we could just loosely call a narrative, okay, about Billy and his hat, and he brought in his life experience, and with his life experience, he figured it out that because Chelsea play in blue, that could be a reason why he was wearing that blue hat, or indeed any other thing. Perhaps he, this little boy, he is a fanatic Chelsea supporter. Some people are. And so he brought that fanaticism and his interest and his care and his love and his delight in Chelsea into the answer. And he is, can we hear the word, wrong. One more time. Wrong. Good. I'm glad we're clear about that. So he's wrong because he interpreted. But in fact, of course, what was he doing? He was both retrieving and inferring in order to interpret. So why have we got to this point in education and life? where interpretation is downgraded and these other two things are what we do. In fact, if you go into a shop around the corner, a news agent, you can buy these lovely things. They're called books, amazingly. They're kind of A4 sheets stapled together that repeat over and over again the cat sat on the blank in a variety of ways, possibly in a hundred different ways, and the job of you as a parent is to get your child to fill in the blanks, and then that way they can then go and do sats. But again, it has nothing to do with interpretation, and I ask myself, but isn't life about interpretation? Isn't that what we we have to do. Isn't that what we do the moment we spring from the womb? We go, blimey, there's a lot of stuff out here. I wonder whether I can make sense of it. Babies are well known to say that as they spring from the womb. <laughs> so for me, that's terribly important. Um, I've just got the V sign from Rosie down the bottom, which would suggest that I haven't had time to get onto um, investigation, invention, and cooperation. So maybe if I just tell you a little quick investigation, when I went into the sixth form, uh, at Watford Boys Grammar School. In fact, it was upper, upper sixth at Watford Boys Grammar School. We had a new English teacher, and the new English teacher came in and he said, look, I'm terribly sorry, boys. That's what they used to call us. I'm terribly sorry, boys, but um, the poem that you're going to be studying, it's a long poem, long narrative poem. It's called Comus, and it's by somebody called John Milton. And I, I've got to, got to say to you, I, I really don't understand it. Now, if you've been through the grammar school routine, that meant you thought this bloke was an idiot. You thought he was a complete jerk because his job was to be cleverer than you and to basically pour knowledge out of his cleverer head into your slightly less clever head, or the jug and mug theory of education, you know, where you're the empty mug, the teacher is the full jug, and you pour the jug into the mug. It's called the jug and mug theory of education. So here he was disobeying the jug and mug theory of education. He said he didn't understand the poem. And then he said, what we're going to have to do is try and figure it out together. So I went home and told my dad this. And I thought he was going to do one of his things where he did his nut about the kind of teachers that I had because he was a Jewish communist atheist, you see. So instead he went, very good. No, very good. That's a good trick, that one. Yeah, no, I've, I've used that one. That's right. You pretend you don't know, you see, and then you engage the kids. It's good. No, that's very good. So I played along with it, and I thought, you know, it's this guy, Mr. Spearman, you know, he's, he knows how to do this teachy thing, and he does it in this modern kind of I don't know trick, you see. So all year we sat and tried to figure out Comus, and uh, they were, we discovered that there were some really interesting lines, like, what hath night to do with sleep? Um, which is not very Miltonic at all, is it? If you'd know anything about Milton, you'd have thought he'd know. Anyway, never mind. Um, so uh, we figured it out, and we had a great time, and though I didn't like the poem, I really enjoyed discovering stuff about it and picking out lines, um, and, and, and it, was, it was very nice, very nice year. Anyway, about 20 years later, I was at a school reunion, 
And there was Mr. Spearman, and he made a beeline for me, and he said, hi, hi, oh, I've, Michael, I've just, you know, I've really wanted to meet up with you, you know, you know, I've heard about some of the stuff you've been doing, you know, that was an incredible year that year, I've, I've never forgotten it, I've never forgotten it, you know, because, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had no idea <laughs> what that poem Comus was all about, I really didn't, but, you know, by the end of the year, I, I felt that I really knew it, and I thought, you know, there's a little education message somewhere in there that, though my dad had been quite cynical about it, that somehow or other, sometimes maybe in education, if not possibly always, uh, but certainly as parents, that if we say, I don't know, that might be the best way for us to learn. I think I better stop, hadn't I, Rosie? Thank you.